0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hello, this is Life Matters coming to you from Wurundjeri land. I'm Beverly Wang and here's a question. What's the unfinished business that made you want to try again with a former romantic partner? Your stories of getting back together with your exes and some valuable advice as well. And in the too hard basket, it's an intergenerational doozy. A grandparent. A grandparent is asking you to lift your housekeeping game because it's too messy for raising children. Many, many opinions on that one. This is Life Matters. Lots of you have given this a go with varying degrees of success, I imagine. I'm talking about getting back together with an ex. The most recent celebrity couple to do this are Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck, who got married after 20 years apart. So what are the benefits and pitfalls of trying again with someone you've already been around the block with? And what improves your chances of making it work the second, third, or even fourth time around? If you've tried getting back together with an ex, how did it work out for you? What were the things that made it successful or otherwise? And ready to answer your questions is clinical psychologist Gemma Cribb. Gemma Cribb, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you, Benedict. Uh, it's great It's great to have you here. Now, Gemma, what's the appeal of getting back together with an ex? Why do people try again?
2: Well, when you get back together with an ex, you already know that there's a lot of love and a lot of similarity. You were attracted to your partner the first time around for good reasons, odds are, and most of the time those reasons are still there, and, um, it can be tempting to to try again um, and recapture what you've lost. So, Gemma,
1: when you're thinking about getting back together with with an ex, what do you need to keep in mind? Because sometimes memory is fallible. We might try, we might tend to have
2: a rosier view than the reality. (laughs) You bet. Uh, So what you do need to keep in mind, there is also a reason why you broke up in the first place. And, When you're not in that relationship, all the reasons why it wasn't working, of course, are not uh, present and relevant or, you know, in your day-to-day life. So it's easy to discount the things that weren't working and idealize the relationship. You know, remember all the good times and feel nostalgic for what was um, and that can cloud your judgment a little
1: Yes, minimizing the bad times. Oh, those weren't so bad, were they? When you're feeling a little bit lonely. I'm Beverly Wang. This is Life Matters. And Gemma Cribb is taking your calls on getting back together with an ex. So... Gemma, just as a checklist for yourself, when you're thinking about getting back to your ex and we and we've acknowledged that sometimes memory is fallible, is there some kind of a self test or a checklist that you can run through before you take the plunge again? How do you know that what you're feeling is a genuine desire to make a, a, a second go, honestly, at a relationship and when it might be perhaps unwise?
2: I guess there is always a genuine desire. Your feelings are your feelings. What you need to check in with is, you know, a realistic assessment of what went wrong in the first place and then a sense, if you had any information, about whether those things are likely to still be present in the relationship or whether it's likely that the relationship could change or, or the two people could work on the things that weren't working so well. Um, so, for example, if if what was going wrong in the relationship was that your partner has kids from another relationship and that didn't work for you, it's very unlikely that that's going to have changed um, in the interim. But if it was an issue with communication or other relationship skillfulness you know, it is possible that your partner and you could do some work or has have already done some work and, and it might be possible that you could have another go at it and be more successful.
1: If you have an experience getting back together with an ex and it turned out well, or maybe it didn't turn out so well, we're happy to take your stories and reflections and even ask Gemma a question if you're considering it. Gemma, I'm curious how often this kind of conversation comes up in your practice, obviously respecting that you can't go into too many details. But (laughs) is this something that does come up? And and what would you how would you counsel somebody who walked into your office and said, I'm really thinking about my ex, I, I think that we have some unfinished business, and I want to reconnect with them?
2: Yeah, it is very common and particularly in the early stages of the breakup. When you uh, break up with a partner, you go through a kind of withdrawal process on a chemical level. So when you attach to someone, your brain's filled with dopamine and oxytocin and all the good, happy, high drugs. And when you break up, you actually kind of go into a withdrawal process when your serotonin goes low and you get depressed and so that's why a lot of people will have these breakups that are long and drawn out and they'll get back together and break up again and get back together and break up again uh, it's less common that still um you know it still happens that you know you have 20 year break from from your ex and and then reconnect. Um, but it's, it's very, very common in the early years. We've got a
1: text who's, that's come in and they said their answer to the question about whether they've gotten back together with an ex is affirmative. And the text reads, I dated one person twice, 10 years apart because I felt sorry for him. We split up because I was more independent and he was still with his parents. Now that's A fairly I would say it sounds unusual but perhaps it's not
2: yes yes that's right I don't know whether uh, even the partner would prefer that person to go back together with them out of pity Um, you're sort of establishing a power dynamic where um, you're more more powerful in that dynamic um, more competent more capable and, and you're taking pity on your partner so that's probably not A pity-based relationship doesn't seem like a very strong foundation to to base
1: that kind of commitment with. Uh, But it's an interesting point that the texter raises that it can sometimes be about a range of different reasons and not necessarily driven by what's good for you or even what the heart wants. Mm Or,
2: you know, what the heart wants sometimes is the learning and growth that you have to do so this person who might be more of a type of person who likes to save people or or fix birds with broken wings might reflect on themselves and go what is it about scooping somebody up from their lowest of their low? What is it about me wanting to to run on in there and and be the hero and save this person that works for me? And how is that actually depriving me of getting my needs and
3: feelings?
1: It, it does there? sound like you have to be quite honest with yourself about your reasons and really make sure that you have clarity there before you dive back into an old relationship. Let's go to Queensland. Tom, you... Are an optimist. You had three goes with a former partner. Please tell us what happened.
4: I, I did like her company most times.
1: You didn't like her company most times. No, no I did. You Excuse did. Me, I did. And um,
4: yeah, we had we had um, very very much common interest in uh, dogs, frisbees, gardening, and red wine.
1: And so, what happened then, Tom? Was that not enough then to sustain you?
4: Um, no, each time we broke up, it was because she got too drunk, um, and, and would get into, um, picking a fight over, over nothing.
1: Right. Okay. So some substance issues there that drove you apart, but I'm curious, Tom, what made you try three times with the same partner?
4: Things, things were good when we clicked, um. And when she didn't want to finish the bottle, I, I was always happy to put a cork in the bottle and and um, pump the air out and save it for tomorrow night. But she was always one to um have a third and fourth glass.
1: Well, Tom, thank you for calling in and sharing your story. I'm sorry I didn't work out with that particular partner, Gemma Crib. Listening to that call, that Tom raises some very in, uh, important points, doesn't he? That. Um, substance dependency, different habits. You can, you can try as much as you want, but you, you certainly can't change those, those
2: enduring habits of the other person. you can't change anybody, only they can change themselves. And what Tom's describing is something that happens very commonly in psychology. We call it emotional reasoning. But when we pick a partner, often we use our feelings to be our guide. If it feels good, we'll stay. If it feels bad, we'll go. But of course, feelings change over time. They're not the most reliable way to choose such an important aspect of your life. Similarly, you know, lots of people say, oh, I picked my partner because he's cute or she makes me laugh or we have lots of common interests, right? But common interests change over time. So you might be very common at one point in your life that have very different interests at other times of your life. So usually what I would suggest to people is looking at the character traits of this person. Is this person responsible? Does this person have, in Tom's case, impulse control? Can she say no to the next glass of wine? Um, Those sort of good person traits usually are what create relationship security in the long term.
1: Gemma, what do you think? I'm just listening to you talking about thinking quite rationally and lucidly about different traits and compatibility. Why would a person go back to someone where it didn't work out rather than trying their luck, I guess, further afield with someone who doesn't have the same baggage?
2: Look, I think sometimes there is the better the devil you know type of fantasy. You do fall in love you know, with a person, and that love is lasting. Very rarely do we fall completely out of love. So there's always nostalgia, there's always fond memories, and as we talked about before, it's easy to idealize the past. When when the problems aren't happening in the here and now, it's, it's easy to discount them. Um, so, you know, going back to a place that you have had good times, um, can be attractive to somebody um, as opposed to you know, trying a brand new person. Um,
1: you know, we started this conversation with a reference to two superstars who have recently got together again and got married, and there's lots of press and hype around that. I wonder if you, you know, watching that, observing that, have any questions or queries about what might be going on in that relationship and what you hope has been sorted out.
2: Uh, I'm not very across modern (laughs) gossip type TV, but um, the interesting thing about um, celebrity relationships is is I'm not even sure we get the real picture um, via the media. 20 years is a big gap. And so, you know, I'm not quite sure the, the reasons that they talked about for breaking up and the reasons that they talked about for, getting back together but I I would hope if anybody is thinking about getting back together with their ex I would hope that you would sit down you would have a state of the union conversation about what was good in our previous relationship what didn't work so well what are we going to do differently this time? Because any new relationship that you make with an ex has to be a brand new start. It can't just be a continuation of something that wasn't working before.
1: Oh, let's go to Lawrence in New South Wales, who has a story to tell us. Lawrence, welcome to Life Matters. What do you want to share with us?
0: Hi, it was so interesting to hear you introduce this topic this morning um, because it's effects. (laughs) Effects. <laughs> it's definitely relates to uh, for me and for my wife. Um, uh, we've been married for 38 years, and we've we've um, earlier this year um, got back together after 10 years being separated.
1: Wow, that's extraordinary, Lawrence. What drove that? If I could ask, what drove the initial separation, and then how did you spend that time apart so that you could come back together again?
0: okay so i uh i struggled um i wasn't a talker um i had a background of um pretty severe sexual abuse as a young fella uh, and a child on a couple of different occasions um i was extremely ashamed about that and just didn't um i just buried buried it and when you bury things it causes often Longer term damage um, and pain. Um, I was very good at um, self medicating for that pain. I struggled with drug abuse um, over the years, on and off. I no longer have those issues. Um, I think I was extremely frustrating for my dear wife because she loved me very much and I loved her. But she, I wasn't a talker, and I think that caused that caused a lot of difficulty in our relationship. Right. Um, we were both, like, so I was using substances um, and she would have a drink because of those, um, the fact that there was nowhere to go, how would we... Yeah, so, the, and, and of course, it, when they're, whenever there's... I, I like to say substances right across the board, it doesn't matter what it is, anything you're having to alter how you feel is a substance. Um, with potential for abuse rather than use. And um, at any time that's there, uh, things are usually going to spiral downwards.
1: Lawrence, thank you so much for sharing that story. And if anybody listening needs help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Just to keep you a bit longer, Lawrence, so it sounds sure. like it was quite a difficult breakup with both of you having this block in your relationship. You took ten years yeah, apart in that 10 years uh, what happened and, and how did you come back together?
0: Okay so I, I call it the time my head exploded um, when I broke up the family um, uh, I had met another uh, uh, met another woman our, our relationship hadn't been good for for um, some years and we were just sort of coexisting really um, however, I, I, um, I broke up the family. We have two kids. Um, They're growing up now, and wonderful kids. And we sometimes look and think, how did that happen? But we, you know, there's a look. There, there is love. We understand what love is um, in our family, and that's probably been the one thing that's helped us come this full circle, if you like. Um, So, in that time, I was away. I lived away. I worked. Lived in my car for. Um, with a car and trailer and just travelled and did jobs of whatever I could get going. Um, And uh, I did have other relationships in that time. Um, My wife did not. Um, And, um, yeah, we'd always, there wasn't a hate. There was a time where there was, and I think that's important to know, there wasn't a hate between us. Um, She was extremely unhappy with me and fair enough too, Um, but we've always maintained a good relationship. We've been friends. We've managed to maintain a friendship there. So um, I was away. I cared for a a sick parent until she passed, my mum, and then I was starting to look for somewhere to be, something to do, Um, and she had said to me, if you want to stop, where she was living at the time with our son who was still at home, um, you're welcome to stay here. So I did I came up north and started looking for a place and eventually found a little spot in a in a small village. Um and I started to renovate the house. The sort of work that I was doing um was badly affected by COVID. A lot of touring was involved in that work. Um and when COVID came that, that work and all the booked work that I had uh, eight months ahead um, vanished over the space of a, just a few weeks. I know a lot of other people in that same situation. So I was lucky to be here, lucky to be able to buy a very small place in a small, quiet village, which I really love. And um, it was a cockroach and mouse super highway when I got here, <laughs> and, and scraped it out and cleaned it up and On renovated. On top of everything
1: else, Yeah, uh, slowly.
0: But that was actually good. It was good to have that focus when the work was falling away. You know, um, my wife's not so well uh, now, and um, it was an instant. Of course, you know. Uh, let's. Um, she was uh, she was living with our our daughter.
1: So Lawrence, um, I, I imagine things must be quite different now. You're a talker now. You clearly you've, t- you've called in and t- tell us so much. And I really appreciate your call. D- what kind of conversation did you need to have with your wife in order to set new ground rules and reset the relationship? Because I imagine you wouldn't want to go back to how you used to be.
0: Oh, no. We're both very different people. I got well in Um, I I got well in the year, I call it getting well, I got well from myself in uh, around the year 2000, um, and and just kept on, I just kept stuck to that. And I knew that that was the right track to be on. Um, And um, once we were able to have the discussions about my background, my my history, uh, I believe that informed a lot of my behaviours in in the old days, Um, uh, we've we've talked about that. Yes, there'd been a lot of loss, um, but there's still love there. So once again, the fact that there's still love there between us um, uh, meant that, you know, we could overcome whatever history there had been. If there wasn't real love there, you wouldn't be able to do that. If you are just pretending, you wouldn't be able to do that. Not a way.
1: Lawrence, thank you so much for calling in and being so generous with your experience. Gemma Cribb, listening in, what are your thoughts on Lawrence's um, recollection
2: to us? Well, I think Lawrence is a very brave man. So thank you, Lawrence, for calling in and sharing that story. Um, our romantic relationships have a really unique, exquisite capacity to trigger us. And But when I say trigger, if we've had any trauma, and that could be big T trauma like Lawrence is talking about with the sexual abuse or what, what I term little T trauma, which is attachment trauma when we grow up in our families. Sometimes our families are good at meeting our needs as little people and sometimes they're not so good. Um, And when we move into that primary relationship, that primary attachment as an adult in our romantic relationships, all that old junk comes up. And we often engage in patterns that aren't so helpful. So, as Lawrence described, he engaged in an avoidance pattern. He shut down. He held away. He he drank away his feelings and his memories. And of course, that would decrease the intimacy and decrease the connection um, between him and his wife. And what Lawrence described is taking a break from the relationship and, and having to, to be on his own and, own and face his own demons and, and move out of those patterns of avoidance and suppression has obviously done wonders for him and, and he's been able to reconcile his past um, and grow from that and come to a point where, from the sounds of it, he's more able to engage in a healthy relationship with his partner um you know, communication is obviously not an issue for him anymore, which is wonderful. Um, So it sounds like a a real transformation has happened there where Lawrence's skills at being in a relationship have fundamentally shifted from point one to point two. Um, And so, uh, you know, as long as we're going to do differently you'll get a different relationship even with the same partner.
1: Where might a person start if they realize that they have really strong issues and and a traumatic history that is posing to be a a barrier or a block in their relationship? Where might someone start to begin to address that?
2: Uh, Look, there's lots of self-help books out there now. Um, You could always go see a therapist or uh, often with trauma bringing the trauma to light, starting to speak about the trauma, um, starting to journal your experiences, starting to put together that narrative of of what happened to you and what that meant for you and, and feeling the feelings that come up. Trauma memories are, are fairly unique in that they often come with very high intensity feelings. So it's different to a normal memory if you remember your six-year-old birthday party you might not have too many feelings about that but anything that was traumatic will come with a re-experiencing of all the, the negative feelings so feeling those feelings again accepting and, and integrating that story and the meaning of that story whichever way you want to do that through journaling through talking to your partner through talking to a therapist
1: And Lawrence raised the fact that children were involved. Obviously, things get complicated when that happens. What do you need to watch out for when you're thinking about reconciling an ex and there are children involved? What do you have to take care? Uh,
2: It depends on the age of the children. But you do need to make sure that the children aren't triangulated in that situation so that it's... um, not their decision it's the two adults decision you probably want to have private conversations with your partner before um in informing the children of whether we're going to get back together or not you don't want to get their hopes up and then dash them and you don't want them to really experience a, a period of chaos any more than they they need to so ideally in any breakup or makeup the kids need to know that both parents love them, both parents are available for them, regardless of whether they're available for each other. And that the breakup has nothing to do with the kids, it's to do with the adult attachment and, you know, be available to answer any of the kids' questions, be available to emotionally support the kids um, and make sure that you're not making the decisions for the kids or letting the kids influence your decisions, the, the relationship and your own needs and feelings within that adult relationship need to come first.
1: Let's go to Tony, who's on the north coast of New South Wales. Tony, you are, you've been married three times, and am yes. I correct, twice to the second partner?
4: Uh, no, no. The second partner I went back to several times, though.
1: Okay. So tell us what happened there. What made you What made you both want to try again several times?
4: Well, that's a good question. Um, Lust was, was, I think, one of the major parts of that relationship. Um, And then just having somebody around, really, that you weren't feeling alone. Um, I mean, there was substance abuse in that relationship um, and there was stepchildren involved. So trying to love your own kids and love the stepchildren and treat them all equally um, didn't really go down too well with with my kids after a period of time um and yeah i mean i think they're the draw cards yeah that emotional stuff and just running off emotions rather than really thinking through things
1: so it sounds like after a few goes you decided that enough was enough what changed then for you as you started to look for a different relationship tony
4: well, what changed was I actually thought I'm a bit of a mess here and I need to work on myself. So I actually went to uni, did some counselling courses and really worked on, on myself and my background and my upbringing. Um, and then when, when I thought, well, okay, I'm thinking a bit straighter here, um, I, I really did, did a list about what I wanted in my future wife. I really thought about that and what was not acceptable to me. Um, so I sort of drew a, la- a line in the sand and going forward rather than just being, you know, I'm in love for the emotional reasons or the visual attachments. So,
1: Gemma, it's important to acknowledge that physical attraction can be a very key reason for getting back together with an ex.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I would never say that you should discount um you know, having loving feelings and feeling sexually desired, a desirable for your partner. Those are important factors in any romantic relationship. But. They're also not the only thing and they certainly don't predict relationship success. The other thing is if you do come from a not-so-great family background, there's this thing called schema chemistry. You're more likely to get attracted to somebody who reminds you of what happened at home, someone who has similar habits and patterns, uh, which is great if you come from a nice, secure, loving family, not so great if you don't. So you've got to be careful of chemistry um, if you do have trauma in your background.
1: We also have lots of text coming in on the text line as well as the ABC Listen app. I might just go through a couple of them uh, for now. JJ has texted to say, there's no future in the past, so that's a different philosophy. Heather says, I've unsuccessfully tried to get back together with all three of my ex-husbands, all long-term relationships. I realized after being diagnosed autistic at 58 that I hate being in relationships, don't have the slightest interest in intimacy uh, and love being single. I'm also a people pleaser and an Inevitably end up changing myself in ways I hate to make them happy. Being single for seven years, live alone with my pets and love my eccentric, neurodiverse, solitary life. It it can take a long time, Gemma, and, and a lot of trial and error before you come to the conclusion of what,
2: what actually suits you, doesn't it? Oh, certainly, yeah. Um, you know, life is about developing self-knowledge and growing and changing as a person so you know it is important to continually reflect on yourself what works for you what doesn't work for you um, and keep making those choices in line with who you are and and who you want to be so Gemma people listening might be wondering
1: about how to go about this in a healthy way. And I also think about the judgment of friends and family who may have stood on the sidelines and and seen a relationship not work out so well, seen the pain and really have strong feelings about uh, you getting back together with somebody who didn't cause you a lot of happiness, near, especially near the end of the relationship. How do you approach those kinds of conversations? Because that can be very difficult and can actually engender quite a lot of judgment, perhaps?
2: Look, I think everybody wants what's best for their loved ones, but sometimes they think they know what's best for somebody, and I would say that every adult is on their own journey and needs to make their own choices, even if those choices don't seem reasonable or um, likely to produce happiness to their friends and family. So, if you're facing uh, uh, peanut gallery that's a little bit um, critical cool of your decision to get back together with your ex, setting some good boundaries with them and acknowledging that I understand that you care about me, I understand that you want what's best for me, that you need to let me make my own choices and, you know, um, learn and grow as as I need to. I need you to support my decision rather than to add more stress and pressure to this
1: situation. Gemma, is there any research or data that could that that tells us whether uh, the success rate of a second time around or third time around relationship fares compared to, say, a, a first time relationship?
2: None that I've read. Um, I'm sure there probably is. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to accurately uh, predict that. i, I I would hate to give you the the wrong impression or the
1: wrong data. No, certainly data. not. <laughs> um, and if there's no data, then there's no data. But we we just ask the oh, question. Oh, so sure there is. I just haven't <laughs> read it. <laughs> Fair
2: enough. <laughs> uh,
1: what about serial break uppers and reconcil- reconcilers? When might that, you know, to, from a clinical psychology perspective, when might mm-hmm. that not be a good pattern of behavior? When might that rep- repetitive behavior need to be addressed?
2: Yeah, look, I think there is a, a difference between someone who wants to get back together with an ex just because they hate being alone or they can't stand their own company or, you know, they're consumed with worry about, um, you know, did I make the wrong decision or what if there's nobody else out there? Um, and getting back together with their ex is more a product of not liking being single or, or not being able to tolerate the very normal negative feelings that come with a breakup. Um, that would probably be not the best motivation to get back together with your ex, and that's probably gonna lead to that sort of serial trying to get back together with an ex that's not based on the qualities of the relationship.
1: We've got a question that's been texted in on zero four one eight double two six five seven six. And the, the texter asks, Can Gemma Crib elaborate on a, on good personal traits for a lasting relationship?
2: Sure. Um, These traits are not my own. It's come from a a fair bit of research. But you might want to look at things like, does this person have a good sense of responsibility? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Does this person have impulse control? Is this person a good problem solver? Does this person have self-awareness? Do we have similar values? And can this person accept the differences between us? And those six qualities are a good starting point. And, you know, if you think about a good friend or a good work colleague, they're not very different to those. If you think about the person that you feel most comfortable and safe with, odds are that person has those qualities in your relationship. So it's sort of a a good starting point for someone who's got the capability to be in relationship in a secure and healthy way.
1: It's so interesting, Gemma, that those six questions that you've asked, those key questions, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, the things that you might think about in, in the heat of a first meeting. We had that <laughs> caller call in saying it was lust that you kept guys. him, kept him going back to the same partner. So it, it's kind of, in a way, taking a lot of the heat out of this assessment, it's it's quite it's quite um, lucid and perhaps not as romantic as we
2: might want it to be. And look, in historical terms, this idea of romantic love is still pretty recent. You know, in the Middle Ages, people still got married because you combine the family wealth or it was about property and and producing good genetic kids. And and still in countries around the world, arranged marriages are very common. So romantic love is a a zeitgeist. It's a a current thing that we're all obsessed with and and is in all our stories and all our media and is held up as the gold standard in, in the Western world. But it is only one view of love. Gemma, just to follow up on those six
1: questions that you, you put out there in answer to the text question, where are those available for review if someone wants to check them out or keep those in mind? What's, what are your recommendations for those kinds of resources?
2: Oh, there's plenty of lovely relationship books that will go through that and similar things. Those particular questions come from a book about depression, actually, by a man called Michael Yapko, and the book's called Depression is Contagious. Uh, It's a book about depression because, as anybody who's been in a bad relationship knows, depression's a very common side effect of not getting your needs and feelings met in a relationship. But I would also recommend anything by the Gottman Institute, John and Julie Gottman are pioneers in the field of relationships and couples. Um, And one of my other mentors is a man named Stan Tatkin. And he's got a book called Wired for Love, which talks about how we attach and how our brain actually works when we're in a relationship from a very practical standpoint. Um, and that is a really good resource for people who are interested in learning more about how to do relationships really well. Gemma
1: Cribb, thank you so much for joining us to talk about uh, all of these tricky and curly Questions about uh, getting back together with your ex. Let me just go to a few of your of your texts that you're texting in as well. Steve says, "If you're love, if you're truly in love with somebody, it's warts and all. Problems like idiosyncratic quirks is part of life." Um, and one listener says, "I got back with my ex two years." After we'd broken up, broke up the first time because he lacked confidence and was so different to all my other love interests. I'd had a history of dating men from diverse and ra- racial backgrounds that were different to me. Also men who were practical and handy. He was from the same cultural background, intellectual, not handy and gawky and not adventurous. We met at his 30th birthday. The attraction was instant. I love being with somebody who is incredibly smart, understood our shared cultural history, and have taken him to one of the remotest places on earth. That's so interesting, isn't it, Gemma, that uh, it can be just about life stages. You may not be ready for that person the first time around that you meet them, but you might meet them again and realize how much you do align.
2: right person at the wrong time um we all have to be available for relationship and at different stages in our life our focus is on other things relationships are really hard work as anyone who's in a relationship will testify um and you do need to be able to put the time and the effort into maintaining and securing that relationship and if you don't have that time and effort it's okay to focus on other
1: things Gemma Cribb is a clinical psychologist, a co-author of the book, Great Sex Expectations: Change Your Perspective and Have the Sex You Really Want. Gemma Cribb, thank you so much for joining us and sharing all of your insights and advice. Thanks to everyone for calling in with your thoughts. This is Life Matters on ABCRN. Next up is The Too Hard Basket, all about parental opinions over the tidiness of your home.
0: Love books? Can't get enough of writers and their stories? With RN's Big Weekend of Books, you can catch your favourite authors from Australia and around the world in a massive celebration of writers, readers and ideas. From crime to climate fiction, from music to memoir and much more. RN's Big Weekend of Books, Saturday 6th and Sunday 7th of August. On your radio, online and on the ABC Listen app.
2: Got an issue
5: you just can't fix? On the fence about what direction you should take. Been wrestling with a
1: situation that's out of control. Let's take it out of the
6: Too, Too Hard, hard basket. basket.
1: It is the dilemma of the dirty house. And our basketeers today are broadcaster and presenter of the Outer Sanctum podcast, one of many, I believe, Rana Hussein and regular Too Hard Basket contributor, editor of Wish magazine, David Marr. Hi team, you ready?
6: So ready. Oh great.
1: (laughs) Okay, so listen up. This is the situation. Roz writes in, it's about her friend. And Roz writes, my friend is distressed by her 30-year-old daughter who keeps a messy and dirty house. The daughter's home was gifted to her by her mother, my friend, through an inheritance. I'm just going to take a personal pause for a moment to absorb (laughs) the idea of a gifted house. Uh, Okay, let's move on. She has a partner and an active 18-month-old daughter, two dogs that have the run of the house. The daughter frequently complains to her well healed mother that she is short of money. She says she would like to return to her former flexible self-employment of gardening part-time, but only has half a day a week at childcare the mother is willing to babysit but only at her own house When the mother mentions the state of the unhygienic house, the daughter has an answer for everything, citing evidence that the child will have a good immune system or she will vacuum next year. It is now at the point that while the mother can visit the daughter's house, the dirt and cobwebs are too distressing. She adores her grandchild and is afraid of repercussions with withdrawal of visits if she pushes the matter of cleaning any further. So, what can she do? What advice have we got, team, when it comes to keeping that clean house or even addressing this conversation? Rana, you've got a young child, and mm. have you ever had to explain a messy house? Can you relate?
3: <laughs> I'm giggling at this one because I almost thought, oh, my God, one of my mom's friends has written in. Oh, this no. is so- <laughs> This is very close to home for me. I have a seven-year-old and no dog. So that sort of saved me. (laughs) Um, This is, yeah, somewhat triggering because I, I have a mother who is into cleaning in a very real and big way. And I am not. And so we are... And it's always been like that. I've never been a tidy housekeeper. Um, And so this is something that we do battle over. um, And I'm in my 30s. Um, And so it is stressful. And I think for me, what I find is that I avoid having my mum over because I do then freak out that she's going to come over and be very judgy about my (laughs) very messy house. I have to say, I have some questions. There's so much to unpack in this one. But I think there's a difference between messy and dirty. And the word dirty is in this um, dilemma. And so I think, oh, okay, we might be veering into unhygienic, unhealthy territory. And if that's the case, it might be a different story.
1: You're absolutely right, Ronna. There is a big difference between a pile of clutter and say something that is so unclean that it's causing a hazard or just really distasteful to be around. Just if I could poke your personal situation just a little bit. Mm. What is the dynamic though with your mom? Does she make comments? Is it an issue about that? Or is it just that you're a little bit embarrassed that the state of your house is not quite up to her standard?
3: Look, to my mum's credit, I think she's realised that it's not going to change and so she sort of accepted me in all my messy glory and has moved on somewhat. But I get, what I get from my mother is the comparison. So she had four kids, had a career, and still managed to maintain an immaculate household. Right? And so what I tend to get is, ah, oh, well I did all of that, and you know what's going on with you? You've got one kid, and you're not working as hard as I was. <laughs> um, so, I, I, that's that's where the tension sometimes comes in. Mum, you're listening. I do the love you. Is real, <laughs> the struggle is real, mum. The struggle is <laughs> real. And I will say, um, I also wondered around this because her daughter has a partner. And so I often respond to my mother with, well, there's two of us in this household that could be tidying up. Let's have a conversation between me and my partner about what you think we share the household chores. Um, there's something gendered in this as well for me.
1: David, what are your thoughts on this on this dilemma and do you think the factor of the gifted house has any relationship in this dilemma
6: I think it has a huge relationship but, but, but just I just want to say one thing I've lived out of the family home for more than 30 years and my mother has never visited a single house that I live in and I think that's a really good thing Oh wow <laughs> but, well, you can't complain about something that you, you don't know whether it exists or not. <laughs> but um maybe it was a deliberate strategy on her part. But I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that this is a gifted house. And I mean, you know, that's a an amazing thing and, and it's some, it's like winning the lottery. It's not something many people experience. But and I don't know many people who've been gifted a house from their parents, but I do know one or two. And each time the parents have insisted that it doesn't come with strings attached, but inevitably it kind of does. And it would seem to me a complaint about, you know, you're not keeping the house tidy enough would be a textbook um, guilt trip and condition placed on the gift of a house. And, you know, I I kind of feel like the claim that it's unhygienic or not a, a house that's fit for raising a child is is a little bit spurious because you know as as you said earlier you know unhygienic is not the same thing as messy or untidy and if this is truly a house that someone feels is in a state that's unfit for raising a child then there's a you know you should be complaining to family services rather than the abc but and i think the reason that they're not is that's kind of used as an excuse for the fact that maybe they feel that the person who's been gifted this house um, isn't grateful enough for it and isn't keeping it in a, a state that her mother thinks is acceptable. And I think, you know, our mothers always have different standards of housekeeping than we do.
1: It is so interesting to think about the dynamics both of gender that Rana raised, but also of the gifted house. And really, there's no such thing as a free house, is there? Though a free house is a lovely idea. Um, we have so many views coming in on the Facebook page, and someone has suggested, this is Lynn who's written in, and says, if mum is comfortably well off, she should offer to hire a cleaner once a week to get the house in order. Rana, what do you think about that that solution? I
3: love that idea, because there's also the mention of there might be money issues going on for the daughter and i think that is a great idea whether it's that or even just a conversation about how can i be part of the solution here like let's let's make this work because i don't love you know the there's just something that's kind of judgy about this that i don't love and i think there always are strings attached with the kind of <laughs> borrowing money or family getting involved with houses. But I'm very much of the view that if you've gifted something, that's it. You're gifted and you back away. Um, so I, I do kind of like the idea of, you know, how can I help you by maybe bringing in a cleaner as well? But also there's something, you know, with the kind of inheritance side of it, the other thing I was thinking about was this is going to be very common for my generation and the rest coming up, that we are leaning on parents and help from family and so... I do think we need to come up with a set of rules around this stuff so that these problems don't keep happening. David, what do you
1: think about the concerns about that of Roz has raised on behalf of her friend? Do you think that, why do you think Roz and her friend are both so affected by this?
6: Um, I I think it's as simple as, you know, there may be, um, you know, they may be putting their own sort of standards of housekeeping and tidiness onto this person who has a child and is trying to manage that and, and you know, and trying to keep on top of everything. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do feel that, you know, that they, they could take a leaf out of my mother's book. And, you know, if, if, if the state of the house really stresses them out, then don't visit it and maybe mm. offer to take the child somewhere else, take the child to the park or the movies or wherever, um, or take the child to your house, um, uh, you know, take, give, give, the, give the, the mother a break from sort of raising the child and maybe that will give her an opportunity to either go and earn some money, which seems to be an issue, or um, tidy the house, or, you know, as some of the Facebook commenters have said, um, help her out, you know, hire a cleaning lady or a cleaner or, or get in and do it yourself if you're capable of, of doing it. Um, but, you know, it really does seem to me that, there is this kind of underlying issue of an inherited house that I think both the letter writer and the mother um, really kind of struggle with this kind of issue of of gratitude and respect for this gift. And, I, I, you know, as Rana said, I think if you give a gift, you give a gift and um, you just have to accept that, that that's what's going to happen. And if you've got strings attached to something, maybe don't give the gift.
1: Out of sight, out of mind. When you give a gift, you thank it, you let it go out into the world. Uh, social inclusion and belonging specialist and broadcaster Rana Hussein, who you can hear on the excellent Outer Sanctum podcast, and author and editor of Wish magazine, David Marr. Thank you so much for jumping in on the dilemma of the dirty house with me.
3: Oh, thanks so much. I'm going to go clean my house before my mum gets (laughs) here. Good luck. If you've got
1: something lurking in your too hard basket you'd like us to discuss, email us at lifematters at abc.net.au. We will change your name and here's one response that I got from Danielle on Twitter when I threw this out into the universe. Danielle says, my mum doesn't comment as a general rule, but when she does come over to look after kids, she sweeps and mops and does dishes or laundry. She keeps telling me she remembers all too well how overwhelming it is to have little ones and keep the show going. So a bit of empathy goes a long way, doesn't it, Erica Valls?
5: Absolutely. And can I just say, everyone, be Daniela's mum. Be Daniela's mum. That's what we want. Look, so many thoughts about the messy daughter's house. Lindy has got this interesting observation. Spiders are great at catching mozzies. Geckos eat the spiders. Dust settles after seven years and it's no longer a problem, according to...
1: Fantastic. Quentin no, no problem.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Your friends should love their daughter and grandchild. Don't be judgy about something as... As a dirty house, and Margaret has texted. A comedian said that the problem with housework is you get it all done and then you have to do it again six months later. Uh, <laughs> Kate says, I would find it hard to see a house I had gifted be neglected and uncared for, but early motherhood is a chaotic um, S show of exhaustion and adjustment, especially in if the other parent is not pulling their weight. There's
1: a lot of information we don't know about the other parent's role. That's very true.
5: There could be a lot of non-weight pulling going Mm. on here. I'd be happy to help if they were struggling and appreciated a clean house. If not, stick to visits outside the house. Cassie says, I doubt it's unhygienic. It's probably just not to the same standard as the mothers who likely became a full-time professional housewife during her lifetime. A lot of people, women in particular, seeing as housework is often unfairly distributed towards them have come to the realisation that there are more important things in life than a spotless house. I also don't care about cobwebs in my house. I like spiders, actually. They can catch any mosquitoes that make their way inside. And I don't dust regularly because I prefer to spend my non-working time doing something I enjoy. Quick story, during the depths of lockdown, a, a huntsman moved into our house and we named it Hagrid. And I just felt like it was kind of like having extra company
1: around Oh, me. <laughs> Hagrid, welcome to the family. <laughs>
5: Roz says, not hard at all. Everyone has their own standards of domestic tidiness. If the daughter is happy to live in a messy house, then that's her choice, but it's also the mum's right to choose not to. Offer a babysit is conditional on the grandchild coming to her house. It isn't mum's job to clean up after a 30-year-old. She raised a responsible adult who can take care of herself and her family in her own style. But this also includes making plans for childcare. The childcare centre wouldn't come to your home. Mum is the childcare centre, so take the kitty to her. One of my fondest memories is spending time at grandma's playing dress-ups and running under sprinklers, cooking biscuits, watching her make jam, win-win. And Diana says, unfortunately, the state of someone's house is their business and no one else's. A 30 year old with a partner and a child is old enough to look after themselves and their house, no matter how distressing. This whole situation is for the friend. She'll need to hold her tongue and not comment. Perhaps she can spend time with her grandchild doing fun things away from the house, like visiting the local park or playing in the backyard. It's time this 30-year-old learnt to be an adult. Gifts of houses sometimes aren't treasured for the wonderful things that they are. They can be quite, I mean, it's a big gift, and it can actually come with a bit of emotional baggage.
1: Erica Vols, thank you so much. Big thank you to the Life Matters team who work extremely hard bringing you all the stories throughout the week. Erica Vols, as you heard there, Michelle Weeks, Emma Nobel, Beck Zajak, Greg Muller, Nat Tenchich, Tracy Trompf and Lyndall Rollins and our executive producer is Angela Owens. Remember to follow Life Matters on the ABC Listen app where you can find all of our episodes and where you can follow lots of other podcasts from ABC RN. Stop everything. I'm passing the baton back to Hillary Harper and we'll be back in a week. I'm already looking forward to your calls catch you then.